MRCC Church friends, family, we're so glad that you are engaging online with us for this service. Uh, we are so excited that you're here, and I want to say that if you're new with us, it's really important for us to get connected in some way. So we have designed this text message. You can text MRCC to 94000 so that we can stay connected. If you happen to be online during one of our interactive services, there's even a little button right there at the bottom of the chat that says, hey, get connected. Click that button and we'll get back with you right away and we love to engage with you in conversation in there so join the chat um, let us know how your week's going how your day's going we'd love to know exactly you know everyone's a part of the chat anyone in the church body your pastors are there there's even a spot where you can click for live prayer there's a bible tab right there at the top so lots of way to engage in the interactive services so if you're watching on youtube hey maybe join one of those interactive services they happen at 8 9 30 and 11 every sunday Another way to get connected is through our fellowship walk after church from 1230 to 1.30. Um, bring your family and your, even your puppy. They'll have fun. Right. Even in the rain, right? Even in the rain. <laughs> hey, we also want to celebrate right now during this time just the amount of love and giving our church has been doing. It's been such a blessing to us. We've been pretty encouraged by you. We know that many of you have had to learn how to give online, but we also want you to know that the church office is open now, so you feel free if you have a need or anything, uh, you can stop by during the week. Even if you just want to say hi, we'd love to see your face. Exactly. Uh, we also have drive-in services, uh, but for the times for those, check Facebook because those are kind of changing here and there, and you can find more information that way. Perfect. Hey, we just want to worship God together. Would you join us right now as we worship our Heavenly Father? Yeah, let's worship. Amen. Good morning, MRCC. Welcome to Church Online today. Today, we get to celebrate our great God and His amazing love. This love is greater than sickness. His love has the power for reconciliation, and we get to respond to this love with praise. In His Word, it is written, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Church, His presence is here wherever we are gathered. Let us praise Him today, for He's worthy. Amen. Let us worship. Yes, we worship you, Lord, and you love, yes. See, before I call, before I call, before I ever cry, you answer me from where the thunder hides. I cannot run this heart I'm tethered to With every step I collide with you yeah. Like a tidal wave Crashing over me Rushing into me Your love is fierce Like a Like a tidal wave 
that I can't escape Tear me through the atmosphere Your love is fierce He's pursuing us He's pursuing us, church You chase me down You seek me out How could I be when you have come found Chase me down You seek me out How could I be lost When you have come found You chase me You chase me down You seek me out How could I be lost When you have come confidence in who Jesus is and place our trust in him, our firm foundation. Let us walk with confidence in Jesus. Yes, we worship you.
Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you again to open God's Word together. Thank you, Pastor Weston and the worship team. Uh, it's so rich to worship the Lord. We were made to do that. We are blessed when we do that. Thank you for leading us in that way. Church, there's just a couple of things I want to say to us this morning before we open God's Word together. And the first one is, is just a, a thank you. Uh, the unbelievable, amazing faithfulness that you have shown in this time is just so encouraging. We're still able to meet needs in people's lives, meet people who are wrestling through seasons of unemployment. And it, it just feels good to do that as a church. God thrills to it and, and we have the ability to do it because of your uh, unending faithfulness. So thank you uh, for being faithful in your giving. Then also, I just want to encourage us. Boy, this has been a long journey. And when I look in God's Word and the history of God's people for a parallel, I, I find myself turning again and again to, to that exile in Babylon when Israel was hauled into captivity. And you kind of read about it happening in Jeremiah. And, and God says something to his people in chapter 29 of Jeremiah that sticks with me, that challenges me. It's surprising. It would have been very surprising to the Jews in that day. He said, I want you to cooperate with this captivity for a season. Boy, that was unexpected. Boy, that felt hard, and it was hard. But in that very same passage when he said that to his people, Jeremiah 29, he also said, I'm going to bring you out of this. He said, I have plans for you. I have a hope and a future for you. I'm going to bring you out of here, back together again. I will lead you through this. I just want to encourage us about that. We're going to be together again. I was so encouraged this week to hear that the schools are going to be opening in the fall. Uh, that's a hopeful sign, and, and that means that, that we're going to be coming together as well. So uh, we're looking forward to that. We're leaning into that hopefully well before the fall. But I want to encourage you. God says... I've got a plan for you on the other side of this. Trust me in this. Uh, receive that this morning, church. Would you grab your Bible and open it to Hebrews chapter 4? And we're going to continue our journey together through the book of Hebrews. We're in verses 1 and following of chapter 4. And as you turn in there, let me ask you, would you describe your life as a rested life or a tired one? Show of hands, who would put up your right hand if it's tired, left hand if you would say your life is rested? Probably a lot of us would raise our right hand and confess to feeling tired. If, if we listen to each other talk day in and day out, it's obvious that, that most people don't live what we would call rested lives. Instead, most people say they're tired most of the time. Rest is a big deal in God's Word. It's something God has, and it's something He wants us to have. Like us, the Bible says He both works and rests. Genesis tells us in chapter 2, verse 2, that on the seventh day, God had finished all the work He had been doing, and, and so on the seventh day, He rested from His work. That surprises some people that God would rest, but it surprises us because God thinks differently about rest and about work than we do. Have you ever wondered why, why would God rest? I mean, He's God. He doesn't get tired. Why would He rest? 
You heard the one about how God was talking to the angels after creation. And he said, do you see what I've done? I've created a 24-hour cycle of night and day on the earth. Isn't it awesome? And the angel said, yes, Lord, it's amazing. What are you going to do now? And God said, I think I'll call it a day. Yes, I have no shame. You already know that. But God thinks of rest and work differently than we do. And that's the key to experiencing his rest. You know, when God created heaven 1.0, the Garden of Eden, he created work as well. Have you ever thought about that? We tend to think of work as a necessary evil. God sees it as a necessary good. So much so that the Garden of Eden wouldn't be perfect without it. That's something to reflect on. Is it possible that just as we define work differently than he does, we define rest differently than he does? And is it possible that that's why so many of us don't feel rested? Everyone knows, everyone's had the experience of having a tired body and still feeling rested if you're peaceful on the inside. When you finish mowing the lawn or, or planting those Mother's Day flowers or, or washing the car on a Saturday morning, there's a kind of rest that comes with it. Jesus talks about rest, and, and when he does, he confounds our assumptions about rest and work. In one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, the Lord offers this promise about rest. Here's what he says to us. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What does he mean when he says that? What is rest in his mind? We're going to talk about that this morning because Hebrews chapter 4 invites us into that rest. Notice though that in offering rest Jesus doesn't offer indolence. Instead, he offers a relationship between me and him that's like the one between an ox and a farmer at work. That's surprising. He offers to put his yoke on my shoulders in order to bring me rest. We would assume that in order to experience rest, we need to get all yokes off our shoulders. God knows better. Jesus knows better. And so he offers us a yoke that will bring rest. He says, if you take it on you, you will discover that I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will begin to experience rest for your souls. Maybe what's making us tired isn't our work, but what's going on in our souls. Let's explore that idea together. Hebrews chapter 4 Beginning with verse 1, you'll remember that in this series we've been learning that the, 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 the letter to the Hebrews is written to encourage the Jews of that day to let Jesus up, update and upgrade their ideas about God. They had grown up with a lot of ideas based solely in the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, oh, that's true, but Jesus brings it full circle. He's the update, the upgrade, the fuller truth. And what the writer of Hebrews is inviting us to do is to allow our ideas that we grew up with about God to be updated and upgraded by who Jesus is. 
Chapter 4, uh, the first five verses, talk about rest. Let's listen together. The Bible says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest, there's the word, since the promise of entering His, God's rest, us entering that rest, since the promise still stands, let us be careful that none of you are found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. That's a reference to the Jews in the Old Testament. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it didn't combine it with faith. Now we who have believed, that is, believed in Jesus, now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. We who have believed enter the rest, those who didn't believe did not. Now, let's pause for a moment. We're going to move down through verse 13 together. But let's pause here for a moment and look again at verse 1. The writer says that the promise of entering God's rest still stands. To his audience in the first century, that would have come as a great surprise. The Jews were living in what they understood to be the promised land, and they thought of that as the, the fullness of rest. And they figured it can't get any better since we're already living here. Lots of people think like that, and so we say things like, I'll rest when I'm dead, and so on. But God says there's a rest available now greater than what you've already experienced, greater than what you've already known. You see, church, we must understand that like all of our Old Testament stories, the story of Israel's journey to rest is absolutely true, but it's not the whole truth. It's only the first part of the greater truth that is in Christ. Later in Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 1, the writer is going to say the law, and, and that is a euphemism for all of the Old Testament revelation and story. He says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. We'll get to that later in our series. But the idea is that the law is a shadow. It reveals a shape, but it doesn't reveal the wholeness and the fullness of the building. Think of it this way. A building casts a shadow on a sunny day, and when you look at it, you can get an idea of the shape of the building, but it, it's not the, the whole truth of the building. That's the idea here, that Jesus is the one who really brings us into rest, that the gospel of Christ is the real rest. But how? How does that happen? How does that work? Well, verses 2 to 5 adds, Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, because those who heard about rest before did not combine what they heard with faith. But we who have believed enter that rest. We combine what God says with our faith in it. You see, church, the gospel is called rest because it's about what Jesus does for us not about what we do for Him. That's, that's the good news. Gospel rest is when you stop trying to prove yourself to God because you know that Jesus has done that for you and given you His grace. Most people haven't stopped trying to prove themselves to God. Maybe you haven't. But believing in Jesus means you stop asking yourself whether you've done enough and start celebrating what He has done for you. Now, now that's hard to do when you're still trying to prove yourself. 
You know, a boss of mine many years ago once said to me, Greg, you'll never be accused of not working hard, but you will be guilty of not working smart. (laughs) What he was saying to me was that there was a kind of rest in work that he wanted me to experience and that I wasn't experienced. God feels like that with you and me. He wants us to enter his rest. Came home from work a couple weeks ago, really tired. It had been a three 12 plus hour days in a row. And when I got home, I was still thinking that I had all the laundry to do because that's my housework, uh, my part of the housework. Well, when I got home, Rhonda told me that she had already done it. Uh, Nobody asked her to. She just did it for me because she knew I'd had several busy days. And and all of a sudden in that moment, I understood why a wife gets romantic when her husband does housework. You know, I felt some of that. And I felt that what she had done, I received it as good news. I felt great about it. The gospel is like that. But there's a deeper part of the story that the writer of Hebrews is touching on here. What if in that moment, I was unwilling to celebrate what she had done for me because I was still trying to prove myself. What if I had resented what she did for me or said, I didn't want you to do that. That's my thing. Well, that would have come between me and the rest that she wanted me to experience. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do that with God. Allow him to give you his rest in Christ. Whoever believes in Jesus enters the rest of God in this way. That's what verse 3 is talking about. Now we who have believed enter that rest. We stop trying to prove ourselves and we allow God to give us grace. You know, one of the sadder stories that I read about in as a history buff uh, is the story of, of Japanese sailors in the water when their ship was sunk during World War II. And over and over and over again, history tells us that, that American ships would set out to rescue these sailors and they would refuse to be rescued. Out of pride and a misplaced sense of honor, they would push themselves away from the ships or or strike those who were trying to rescue them and drown instead. And what did they preserve? Nothing except a useless and empty pride. In the same way, many of us resist the gospel of Christ that invites us to rest in what he has done. Instead, we just keep trying to prove ourselves and then wonder where our weariness comes from. So Hebrews goes on in verses 6 to 8 to say it still remains that some will enter that rest when we believe in Jesus and that those who formerly had the gospel preached to them didn't go in because of their disobedience, which verse uh, 2 tells us was an, uh, an unbelief. Therefore, God again said a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, uh, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken uh, later of another day. Again, in context, he's speaking to Jews and he's saying, no, there's a greater rest available in Jesus. David's prophecies about Messiah point to it. And that rest is available to us. And rest in Christ doesn't mean that we stop trying hard to be good. That's where we sometimes get confused. But it does mean that we do it from gratitude and not desperation. Not to prove ourselves, but to say thank you. 
Like some of you, I, I sometimes make it a habit when I go into a restaurant, if I, if I see an active duty military person or family there, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll secretly pay for their meal sometimes. I'll just wave the waitress over and say, hey, uh, you know, give me their bill. Why do I do that? I don't do it to prove something because the only person that knows is me and the waitress. I do it out of gratitude, like you do. And what the gospel does is produces the freedom to live like that. When we put our belief in Jesus and stop trying to prove ourselves, we find the freedom to live from gratitude. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wants his Jewish audience to understand. That's what the Spirit of God wants you and me to understand. So continue, verses 9 to 10, the writer says, There remains then a Sabbath rest, that's a significant term, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience, the Old Testament example of those who didn't combine God's promise of rest with faith. The writer describes a Sabbath rest. This is important. It's a rest in God, not a rest from God. Sometimes we get tired and we say, man, I just need to push away all the, uh, my daily devotions, my uh, weekly involvement in church. I need to push all that back and try and find some rest. God says real rest is found in those things, not apart from those things. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. He doesn't say throw off all yokes. He says you need to exchange the yoke that you're carrying for mine. And the writer of Hebrews says anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. You know, everybody has a yoke of some kind. For some, it's a temper that rules them and drives them. For some, it's their lust. For some, it's their greed. For some, it's their fear, their insecurity, or their hurts, or their pride. And those yokes drive us and wear us out. That's where the weariness comes from. The yoke of Jesus, by contrast, sets us free and brings us into rest. Jesus offers his yoke instead of yours. What's yours? In what way are you day in and day out, week in and week out, trying to prove yourself? The gospel invites you to set that aside and to receive the love and grace of God in Christ as your Savior, because with it comes the rest God wants you to have. You know, maybe the, the worst yoke of all is your pride, your desire simply to prove yourself. I, I have to confess something to you, and that is that I'm a proud man. I don't want you to do stuff for me. I would much rather me do stuff for you, because then I can feel good about me. But when we come to God, we can't be like that. When we come to Him, we must come to Him as Savior. We have to die to our desire to prove ourselves and become dependent on Him. And when we do, it creates a very unique state of mind. It creates humility. And that's where rest is found. When your spirit is humble, you can receive rest. You know, some years ago in our church, a, a man fell off his roof. He was just doing some routine maintenance. 
and he fell off. And when he fell head first, he struck the concrete porch out in front of his house and suffered significant brain trauma. Had to be airlifted to Harborview. His life was in danger for, for some time. And he was in the hospital for months. And when I would go to visit him with his wife or his family, he, you couldn't help but see that this man who had formerly been strong and in charge and in control was, was humbled, uh, deeply humbled. Two months in a coma will do that to you. And when I met with him after he came out of that coma, he was quick to confess how weak and frail and dependent he was. And he also told me that something deep within him had changed, that he felt different, that he understood rest in a new way. He knew that he couldn't power his way out of his situation. So in that hospital bed, he was letting himself be saved. That's the gospel, is when we believe in Jesus instead of proving ourselves. Lots of people don't know that our sin creates a kind of traumatic soul injury. And we need to let ourselves be saved by a saving God. By contrast, I can be completely the opposite. You know, back in December when I had that real mild heart attack and I was in the ER and they had me in there for hours, finally I just decided I'd been there long enough and I checked myself out of the ER. That's the second time I've done that in the last few years. Why? Because I'm a proud man. But the gospel is slowly setting me free from that and teaching me to rest. Rest means you stop trying to save yourself and let God do it. And when I surrender my pride and ego, I gain rest. In fact, the Bible tells us the gospel is designed by God to destroy that pride and ego that drives us to prove ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 puts it this way. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. C.S. Lewis famously said that it's, it's easy to identify a real follower of Jesus. They're the only people who will confess that they're proud. They're the only people that will confess that they tend to be conceited and arrogant in their hearts. The rest of the world will confess every other sin, but not that one. They'll fight that one to the very end. But believers don't. Those who have entered God's rest know better. We're willing to receive a Savior, and so we experience rest. Let me ask you this morning as we kind of turn into the home stretch: are you resting in Christ? Are you entering God's rest by faith, or are you still trying to prove yourself? It's an important question to ask because that's what the writer of Hebrews is concerned about here in chapter 4, that we would experience God's rest. You see, church, if your soul is at rest, then the most important part of you is at rest. And that's what Jesus wants you and me to have. That's why the writer of Hebrews in verses 12 to 13 takes kind of a little bit of a turn, but there's a direct connection to what he's been talking about. He says that the Word of God helps me see my need to be rescued from my pride. Listen to what he says. He says, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It addresses the inside of me, 
joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Why? Because when those are out of whack, that's where weariness comes from. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. The Bible says everything is uncovered and laid bare before him to whom we must give account. So in other words, what the word of God does is it helps me see the roots of my unrest. It helps me see them so that I can recognize my need of a savior, so that I can recognize the grace of God in his gospel. Now, I remember when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe nine years old and uh, our family had gone to visit some friends. They had a large uh, ranch, so a lot of property. And the kids, a uh, whole gang of kids, because there was a number of families that came together, were just roaming the woods. And about halfway through the day, the other eight, nine kids tricked me. They set up a scenario, a game, told me one thing, I followed it. And what actually happened was that they ditched me. They got rid of me. Now, it wasn't because I was the youngest. I was right in the middle. And when I realized what they had done, that they had concocted that whole scenario to get rid of me, well, when you're a kid, that hurts. I think when you're a grown-up, that hurts. And I can remember going and sitting on the wood pile behind the house and thinking to myself, wow, that hurts. And my mom saw me sitting out there, and she came outside and sat down beside me. And I remember thinking to myself, eh, it's great to have a mom. Until she started talking. Because what she said to me was, Greg, you need to learn something today. You can be bossy. You can be overbearing. And those kids got rid of you because that's the way you behave sometimes. So you have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. Either you let that go or you're going to be alone a lot. And then my mom got up and left me there. <laughs> but you know what? I'll never forget that day. Because the gift my mom gave me changed me. I learned something. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's what scripture will do for you. It will help you see what maybe you don't want to see. But when you see it, it will show you the way out. You know, later that day, I got back together with the kids. My attitude was different. And so was theirs as a result. But the gospel is even bigger and deeper than that because the rest of God in Christ is even deeper. When I was a teenager, like many of you, I was so self-conscious, always worried about how my hair looked, how my body looked, my face, my reputation, except when I went to grandpa's house. When I went to grandpa's house, none of that mattered. And I was free to be a kid. Why? Because I wasn't trying to prove anything to grandpa. Because I was willing to receive grandpa's love. I wasn't trying to impress him. I was only in a posture of receiving from him. That's the gospel. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants his Jewish audience to understand. That's what the Spirit of God wants us to grasp and understand. That's what Jesus means when he talks about rest for your soul. You see, church, pride doesn't know how much it's loved. It doesn't know that we are the apple of God's eye, Zechariah 2.8. It doesn't know that God, as it were, carries our picture around in his heart like a father, but that's the truth. Pride doesn't know that God's always wanted to adopt us and make us his own, not because of what we do, but because of who he is. 
So when Jesus invites us to take his yoke upon us, when the writer of Hebrews invites us into the rest of God in Christ, it's so that we can know that kind of freedom, that kind of rest. This morning we, we started by talking about being tired and the message to the Jews in their context is the same as the message to us in our context. You're exhausted because you haven't let your ideas about God be upgraded by Jesus. And so you're trying to prove yourself and to validate yourself and to make yourself lovable. You've been doing it ever since you were small and it wears out your soul. But rest comes from believing that God sent Jesus because he loves you. Rest comes from receiving what he has done for you instead of trying to do it yourself. If you came to my office today, you might notice on the bookshelf right behind my office, this picture. It's been there for years. I put it there one day in my 20s when I was praying and anguishing over my failures. And God said to me, clear as a bell, because I was praying in our spare rooms, a junk room, a lot of boxes, so on this picture was laying there. God said, Greg, you have to understand that whenever I see you, I see this. I love you. I want you. I want to be your dad. I want you to be my son. That gospel brings rest. And God offers it to anyone willing to receive Jesus as their savior. You know, the gospel is so simple. John chapter three, verse 16, God so loved the world, so loved you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever receives him, gains eternal life, becomes a son, a daughter of a father God. He pulls off the yoke you've been carrying and gives you his, which is easy and light and brings rest for your soul. I finished by asking you again, are you tired? God wants you to know rest. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We hear your call to rest. We hear your promise that if we'll listen to your word, it will identify what's going on inside of us and bring us to rest. Lord, help us to come to you with nothing more than our faith in you, not trying to prove ourselves, but responding to what you have done for us with thanksgiving. We pray for that. God, I pray for that person right now who's been carrying a yoke of rage or lust or greed or fear. God, I pray help them to, to let go of it and let it be replaced by the yoke that you offer, one of thanksgiving for your grace. We pray for that today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for spending some time with us in God's Word. I hope that your day today is filled with a Sabbath rest in Jesus. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them.